you lasso fans. Did you miss us? You missed us. We are back on Peanut Butter and Biscuits, your Ted Lasso fan cast on the Front Row Network on NPR Illinois. I'm Jeremy Geckner, and here with me, my co-host as always, Mr. Craig McFarlane. Man, we've seen each other, but I feel like we haven't. I know. It feels so weird having not recorded in so long, <laughs> and it feels weird having electricity. Yes. I feel like... You know, if you're in our social media, you heard the uh, trials and tribulations of Springfield, Illinois, <laughs> and the ridiculous amount of wind and damage that was done here about a week ago or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jeremy and I were both without power for, for solid. Yeah. Like I was out for like five days. I think you got you were at like six, six days without power. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So this is what happens. All right. So Jeremy is out of town, just living up the life of luxury (laughs) at some hotel. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm trying to figure out, you know, if I'm ever going to have electricity again. Mm. So he tells me, Hey, Craig, go drive by my house and see if we get electricity. (laughs) And so I literally pull onto his street and I just see all of these electrical vehicles and every house on his street is lit up like a Christmas tree. And then I drive over to his house and I'm like, hey, buddy, you're lucky you've got electricity. And then he doesn't believe me. He keeps asking me like 12 (laughs) times. He's like, no, really, do I have electricity? And the guy that doesn't have electricity then has to explain Mm. to the person that does have it. Yes, in fact, you really do have Mm -hmm. electricity. So Mm -hmm. all this to say, we had made plans to record this episode earlier. We actually promised it a long time ago because this is our West Wing episode. And we had promised it because we had hit a thousand people in our Facebook group. Guess what? We're now at over 2000 people 2000 now yeah <laughs> so i feel like uh we really missed the boat here and i'm sorry that it took so long to get to this mm. and i'm not sorry that i finally have electricity again though this is <laughs> yeah. very nice yeah it's it is funny um like it, it, t- for the record people i asked him to you know confirm because my wife is insane um which you've heard on this show here before um but it was like one of those things that you know, we were out of town on a pre-planned trip. And so, like, it's just kind of like you keep hearing, though, and seeing on social media, like, nobody in the city, like, has power. I think it was, like, what was it, like, 50% of the entire city of Springfield, like, was without power once the storm hit? At, at one point, it was 40,000 households didn't yeah. have power. And then I was in, like, the last 5,000 that got yeah. them back. And I think that there are still some right now, as we record this, a week after the storm, that currently do not have power yeah, we still, have friends so. who still don't have it and no updates and stuff so i mean it's it's a it's a nightmare scenario there but it, it was we are lucky of course to have power back both you and i in our homes um and uh we can record like this and uh to anybody who does it we're sorry uh please maybe maybe you'll get a little bit of joy out of uh listening to us rant and rave about the west wing for a little bit <laughs> but we are back uh we are happy here to bring you this episode uh celebrating our thousand members in our Facebook group. We'll have to come up with something else for the 2000. Uh, we'll, we'll get right on that. Um, although Craig is about to start a production of Beauty and the Beast uh, at uh, the Springfield Muni. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll find we'll carve out some time for you guys. Um, but we do have a little bit of uh, housekeeping to take care of here, too. Quite a bit, Craig. Yes, we've got a bunch of reviews because we've been off for basically a month and it's so great to get back on and be able to record with you. And just thank you to everyone that continued to give us such positive feedback about the finale episode. That was a lot of fun to record. And I can't believe it's been a month since Ted Lasso has been in our life. But the first one was from Simone. Uh, This was way back on June 1st. And the title I love, $200 late fee for being, or $200 fine for being late. Yeah. (laughs) I jumped on the Lasso train pretty late. I binged the first two seasons as past weekend before season three started and i haven't looked back ted lasso is now my background tv show and i so look forward to new episodes of peanut butter and biscuits craig and jeremy's obvious love and care for the show shines through in every episode also super exciting to hear you run that you're going to be doing your shrinking show Ah. as another perfect piece of art cheers and i do want to update that as well and we'll mention this again at the end but we do plan to jump into shrinking and i think we're going to plan to do that as an every other week type of release so you won't have it for another two weeks but then we will launch off the pilot of pbb shrinks 
and uh, we'll cover <laughs> shrinking for you there. So stay tuned for details for that too. Which is fantastic because then I just got to take our artwork and just make it really small um, on the blue background. And that is uh, what all of our logos will be for that. Um, anyway, uh, also here from 357021, that seems legit. Um, PBB finale episode just said, well done, lads. Well done with two exclamation points. So thank you very much, you computer monitor you. <laughs> I like that. And then uh, Misha wrote, no beard goggles necessary. Exactly what you need to indulge your lasso obsession. The hosts are true fans and they love the show as much as we do. And they appreciate it in the lasso way. And they seem curious instead of judgmental. The Packer controversy <laughs> is the only downside. We're never getting away from this, man. We never should have Did you said. know that the Packers released Mason Crosby? That one I did totally not. went over my... Totally wow. went over my head. So he's a 17-year veteran. He wants to continue kicking. All-time leading scorer on the team. Yeah, and he basically said that he's just going to be waiting around for essentially someone to get injured oh my because God. he knows that at some point some team is going to need him. But come on, Packers. Guys. Like Mason, the gray wolf himself. Come on. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know what the longevity of kickers are, but Vinatieri stuck around until he was like 44, didn't he? I mean, come on. We could keep this going here. Um, all right, well, keeping it going here from uh, KLH Fritz. Uh, he says, I'm here for it. I love this podcast, all parts of it, but mostly I love the vulnerability that both of you display. It allows me to really connect and feel a part of the community. Thank you. P.S. Jeremy, I love the giggling laughing that happens during the show. I feel the joy you have for the show, and I'm here for it. Well, thank you very much. Um, that, of course, is a reference to IDC.1008's uh, comment, our, our one-star review about they, they would like the show if only for me not laughing so much. So, um, you know, it, it, I appreciate the inverse there uh, for its uh, very, very, very much appreciated now this next person it says like penguin texas or P penguin it's like um did you ever see when benedict cumberbatch tried yeah to say i was about penguin? to say penguins like, right penguins <laughs> Peng penguins uh texas 57 love this podcast have really enjoyed the podcast glad to hear that you'll be doing some interviews with the cast members as all of us jones for more ted lasso and try to slowly wean ourselves <laughs> away um and then he actually went into a really nice thing uh, about the cat stevens song father and son which of course uh is the final song that we're going to hear in the finale episode or as we we build up to that end of the finale and uh, I, it's kind of a long explanation, so I don't necessarily want to read the whole thing, but just thank you so much for your listening, and we really do appreciate you. Yeah, we went into pretty great detail on the finale episode about Cat Stevens' father and son. Um, the best version of that song I've, I've uh, seen used, the second best, of course, James Gunn's use of it in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, but just a wonderful, wonderful song. Uh, and if you go on Apple, the Ted Lasso uh, Season 3 music playlist, they've got a wonderful version of it that's kind of like a remix. Um, so I very much encourage you guys to do that. Um, all right, almost done here. Uh, JWingNut1 uh, uh, says, Great podcast. I listened to two Ted Lasso podcast and you guys have become my favorite in spite of the whole Packer thing man I, I maybe there's more Packer vitriol than I thought out in the world. there definitely is we're, we're good guys dude look if, if you hate the Packers we're gonna suck this year it's fine we're gonna win like two you days think it's only the Dallas Cowboys that people really hate exactly but then you learn yeah. as you do this show maybe we are the Cowboys light of the of the sports world anyway I think you got our last one here no that's the last one that I actually had Ooh, uh, I got another say, one here there was one more uh, that said that they were having trouble finding the first editor episode that the editing episode oh, was right, really right, good. Right, right. Um, so I did have that one. And I just wanted to call out that the first time we talked to AJ and Mel, it was back on January 28th of 2022 is when we released that episode. So if you go back in your feed, you should be able to find it around that time. There you go. Boom. We come with the receipts. Ooh, that um, is so much housekeeping. Now yeah. we get to dive into the West. Wing. Let's get into a different kind of house one colored white um all right folks so you asked for it on yeah i know i'm the king of transitions uh you asked for this uh, a while back you know some parallels and stuff of uh, with the west wing and ted lasso so because we've talked about ted lasso oh only about a million hours on this show um we are going to kind of take more of a west wing centric focus on this really talk about kind of how we came to it why we love it and then we're going to get into some of the parallels we've seen between you know like storylines feel characters stuff like that um, so let's just start right here at the beginning, uh, Craig. 
you have been a lot more politically active in your life than me. Um, so I'm imagining you came to the West Wing a lot like earlier than I did. But how did you come to find yourself watching a little show called The West Wing? Sure. Yeah. I, my brother and I uh, both really got active in politics. And actually, I started watching The West Wing probably in like season four five of its initial run on live tv so it became like my sunday night viewing and you know for people that know the show season five is a really interesting time in (laughs) the the series because essentially aaron sorkin decided he was going to leave the show after season four and he really left them in a lurch as far as this kind of crazy scenario where john goodman becomes president and everything else i should say that you know there's going to be some slight spoilers spoilers about this but like you know it's it's also one of those shows where like so much of this happens and there's not necessarily like these humongous like spoiler type of uh uh, moments that happen so we'll just kind of mention them in passing but then john wells takes over and so john wells had been on the writing staff and he had been uh really working to become that executive producer of the show uh during season five and i think that most people will say that season five is probably the weakest of the seasons of the west wing but i really actually enjoyed season six and seven so so much because that's when we got to see matt santos and we got to see the campaigning and i was just this kind of like young liberal kid that was like yes this is great and (laughs) Of course, for those of you that don't know, they truly modeled um, Matt Santos off of a young Barack Obama. So and so as someone that had been interning in the Obama office at the time and also uh, just really started to get active towards what would eventually become his presidential campaign uh, in 2007, 2008. It just was something that really grabbed me in. And I just loved the acting. It was one of the first shows that I really started to appreciate the wit and the writing as Mm -hmm. well. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is the biggest parallel to Ted Lasso for me is the fact that this show is so well written and it has so many great callbacks um, that you get out of this show, but also just like, moments that are that Sorkin-esque dialogue or monologues that really are impactful. Some people think he's a little bit over the top with it, (laughs) but I eat it up. I eat up that democracy talk. I eat up that, um, you know, like good governance and like what we should strive to be as a country. So that's kind of how I came to it. And I'll say that I've rewatched the series eight times um, start to finish. And the last time that I rewatched it actually was a while ago. Mm. It was uh, when my son was born. So it was like my overnight viewing as I was (laughs) put that uh, on while you don't bottle and yeah (laughs) and so i would watch like maybe you know an episode or two while he was eating and then kind of getting settled back into sleep as well but what about you jer how did you come to find it yeah i can't really i've been thinking about this i can't really pinpoint when i first watched it um i do remember like when i was younger i remember my mom and uh my stepdad would watch the show um you know as it aired um, so and I, I vaguely remember like when they would watch like the Emmys or something, too, when I was just like, man, you know, this show just keeps winning everything, <laughs> and all these Emmy Awards and stuff. Um, so I remember a little bit of like the prestige around uh, the show itself, but I don't think I actually like watched it, watched it until... God, maybe a few years even like after I was out of college. Um, because, again, folks, this might be hard for younger viewers to understand or listeners to understand. Um, you couldn't just watch a show on demand <laughs> once, like, once upon a time. Um, you couldn't Back just... in our day. Yeah, exactly. As we find the DVD box sets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we fully turned into Clint Eastwood in, uh, in Gran Torino here. Um, it, it is one of these things, though, like when I started watching it, you're right, Craig, like, it was one of those things where the dialogue was so unlike anything I had ever watched. Um, and it was, I remember just thinking like, man, I want to talk like these people talk, you know, like I just, I want to like have this. Cause again, like, it's not even just like, you know, there is fanciful writing for fanciful writing sake. Like, you know, as somebody who studied Shakespeare in college a lot, you know, a lot of that is just Shakespeare being like, look at the words I can make up and use. Um, but when you get into like the way Sorkin writes this show, I keep telling people, it's just like, if you don't like politics, you will still like the West Wing. All right. You will still like the West Wing because it talks about politics in a way 
that is very down to earth and very easy to understand. It takes like pretty hard concepts um, when it comes to governments. I mean, like budget negotiations, Senate confirmation hearings, like the structure of like the congressional hearing system. Like they take it and it all seems weirdly accessible. Like the, my, my biggest um, proof point of this is like I showed it to my wife and she hates politics she absolutely despises politics doesn't care about it and i was like no seriously just give this a shot and i think you'll like it and she just devoured this series and and it was and again it's because sorkin writes the characters in such a way that you can tell that they're like experts at what they do you can tell they're so knowledgeable and so smart but they never seem like they're talking down to anyone in the show and i think that's kind of like the secret sauce of of what makes it there um you know candidly you know a, a relative of mine who's very very, very conservative, didn't want to watch it because they thought like, oh, you know, Democratic president and all this stuff. And it's going to be that. And she ended up loving it. She literally watched all seven seasons in like two weeks. Um, and it was one of those things. It's like, again, yes, it, it kind of hits that sweet spot, doesn't it, Craig, of, you know, I think the biggest parallel that I can find here with Lasso is that in a show that is steeped in a topic like politics that is often so cynical, it takes an aspirational approach to politics and to government. And I think that's really kind of the biggest parallel I see. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those shows that actually shows you what good government could look like yes. and um, what we could do if we were able to work more uh work progressively together to move the country forward. And so it just, it's one of those shows that's like, it is very highly aspirational. And I know that like talking to my fellow political science majors, when we were in college, this show really turned a lot of young people onto politics. And this was like an hour long drama on NBC. I mean, so yeah. it's one of those things where like, we weren't even necessarily the target audience for it, but it was so impactful even to a young audience of you know 16 to 20 year olds that were watching it as the show was coming out. And especially, I think, those last couple seasons where you see basically a presidential campaign play out. Yeah, I think that that, you know, that's why it was more impactful. I, a lot of people I talk about the the Aaron Sorkin, John Wells transition, and some people would say that the end of the series in general does not live up to the first few seasons of the series i actually would contend that um yeah i'd go hard the other way season six yeah, yeah midpoint of season six to uh the end of seven is almost just as good as season two and season two of the west wing is regarded as one of the best seasons of television so it's uh it is something that i'm I'm glad that we can still go back and revisit. It does seem like a bygone era a bit because our <laughs> politics are so polarized and and so um, just mean spirited at the moment. Yeah. But it, this this episode, just like talking to you about this stuff, it's really getting me in the mood to start another rewatch and <laughs> no. uh, to be able to check it out. Yeah, because it's been a minute, like, you know, and so even when we start to draw parallels between the different characters, I know that you want to do that as well. I, I'm, I'm nervous in that people may disagree with my assessments of like uh -huh. who matches up with who based on the fact that it's been a minute since I've watched this show, but I also feel like, like West Wing sort of in my blood at yeah. this point, you yeah, know? Yeah, I, I, I don't need a ton of preparation for talking about this because you're right. Like I've watched it like a million times. If ever, if there's ever a time when I don't know what I want to watch, I just put on the West Wing because I know I'm going to want it and I know I'm going to love watching it. Um, And yeah, I think... Oh man, it is. It does seem like a bygone era, but I think like kind of the thing that politically makes it still work, and why someone like my conservative relatives can like watch it still is because you don't doubt the sincerity of the characters. You mm -hmm. don't doubt that like, you know, you don't doubt the their motivations in terms of like why they're doing what they're doing. You get the sense that this is what true public service looks like. You know, it's just right. people who do, and you know, there is sort of they deal with this a lot in the show too. Like there is a bit of ego that comes into it. There is a bit of, you know, like power that comes into it, but like, you know, my relative who watched this said, you know, if that were, if the Democrats like had somebody like Bartlett, like I would vote for him every time. It's just like, so there's a little bit of like, you know, overall there, but again, like you just get the sense the way Martin Sheen plays president Bartlett. It's that it's, 
very he's just a good man he's just a very very good man who's just trying the best that he can um and it's one of those things that you're right like we just don't see that politically anymore you either see you know the mean-spiritedness from either side that you want to come from or you see people that you just know are like working an angle you know or just like playing Mm -hmm. a part to like get ahead or to get attention and so there is no sincerity it seems in the political process anymore and so that's why when you watch a show like this or like drawing it back to ted lasso now when it comes to the sports world and like egotism and and you know machoism and and stuff like that you see a show like ted lasso that basically says like no you don't have to do that you don't have to have like adversarialness you don't have to have all this you know toxic stuff in a locker room to make a team successful it takes those approaches of things that we think we know and shows a completely different way to do them and i think that's the biggest parallel between these two shows is that they really upend what we think the status quo of an established thing in the world is yeah, I can I can totally see that argument as well. You know, just a little bit of trivia. You mentioned Martin Sheen and the beginning of the West Wing when it was pitched yeah, by yeah. Sorkin. It was really going to be much more about the staffers and the president. Actually, uh, Martin Sheen was only really signed on to guest appearance in a few episodes. And so that's why in the pilot, we hardly get him at all. We get him at the very end of the mm-hmm. pilot episode, uh, having, you know, fallen off of his bike and they're trying to figure Which out like <laughs> how to uh, handle the, the PR situation came to a sudden arboreal stop yeah (laughs) yeah exactly and so it's uh really cool that because of the way martin sheen kind of carried himself on that set uh it really meant for him to become such a larger part of this show and i think he is the foundation of this show and he does such an uh, amazing job when it comes to that but in the end much like trent krim writes to our uh good uh, <laughs> uh once he's done with his book and ted lasso writes back to him it's not really a show about martin sheen it is a show more about those ensemble characters and those staffers that are making up the west wing as well yeah. now i know you love this show as well so before we get into like super <laughs> nerdiness here we have to also acknowledge that the only bad thing that came out of the west wing was that we only got two seasons of sports night so oh, sports yeah. night if you have not watched that show, it is wonderful Aaron Sorkin. You get a lot of Josh Molina. You get some Felicity Huffman before she was trying to cheat to get her kids into college. <laughs> you get uh, a lot of amazing character development. And essentially, you're watching uh, Sports Center. This was based off of the old like Dan Patrick Sports Center kind of model as well. And so Sports Night was something that was happening on ABC at the time. And Aaron Sorkin uh, went and pitched West Wing and then he started writing for both shows. Yeah. And so he's writing a half hour comedy every week about a sports center type show. And then he's writing this hour long drama every single week about the West Wing. And so I uh, remember hearing interviews with him and then also uh, stories about him in that time. And he was essentially having like 90 hour weeks. He was just turning around every single day and going to a different set or going to a different uh, a writer's room and kind of getting all these uh, going. And so unfortunately, Sports Center or Sports Night had to give. And mm-hmm. so that is a, an amazing show, though. Only two seasons. It's half hour long. I think there's only about 30 some odd episodes. You can easily uh, track that down and then just binge it entirely. For the longest time, it was only where you could kind of buy it or rent it on like an Amazon or an Apple. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is still the case. If I find that it's streaming somewhere else after this, I'll definitely let people know. But Sports Night has a special place in my heart as well. Yeah, there's always, I, I will say this like, most of anything that Aaron Sorkin does, I'm there for. Because um, I just think he is one of like the more not even just prolific, but like talented writers that we've ever had, especially in the film uh, medium. Um, You know, you call out Sports Night there, which is amazing. Uh, Josh Charles, of course, on that show. He's an incredible actor. Um, But also uh, The Newsroom on HBO, um, another Aaron Sorkin show that, again, takes an aspirational view of the news at a time when the news was just hitting one of the lowest of lows at its time. And he did such a brilliant thing with that show, too, where he basically took stories that had happened happened in the past the recent past and showed how a news network probably should have covered those stories as opposed to the way that they traditionally do um but again like you know we're playing with like these big concepts news media the white house and government um you know broadcast television um 
But in, in all of it, he takes and makes sure that we care about our characters first. Because if you don't care about the characters first, then you just got talking heads like pontificating out here about like high morality. You're basically in like a philosophy seminar or something like that. You have to care about the people, um, the way that it's going there. And I think that Aaron Sorkin just has this innate way of like playing with these high concepts, these high, you know, intellectual concepts, but making them grounded through these characters. Also, his film, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix, is a wonderfully written film um, and a wonderfully um, imbued like version of that story of stuff that you probably did not know about that incident if you even knew about that incident at all. So I think you're right, though, like Aaron Sorkin just has this way about drawing you into something that you think you probably don't have an interest in, but I promise you, everyone, you really, really, really do. Um, and I think that's part of what the West Wing, why it's still peak Aaron Sorkin to me, is just because every character that comes through those walls that gets to speak, it's just they, the way they speak, it's, like an, it's not even just aspirational about philosophies and stuff. They are intelligent and there's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? They're speaking in terms of like very, very intelligent people. Um, and that they're, like I said, just these high concepts and stuff, but it's not like seen as like elitist or anything like the way they're talking about these things. And I think that's a very interesting trick to pull off for a writer. Yeah, absolutely. It is. But, you know, we probably should dive in instead of just looking at the series as a whole, maybe start to look at some of the individual plot lines or yeah, individual yeah. characters as well. And so you start that all off because I told you I'm already terrified about what people are going <laughs> to come at me with here uh, with when I start to talk about these parallels. But is there someone in particular that you're like, yes, these are uh, parallel storylines and parallel characters? I have one that I think of right off at the top of my head. But mm -hmm. I want to see if you have one, too. Well, I'll go I'll go with more of like a story parallel um, as opposed to. A, well, I guess it's sort of a character as well. And I this might be the one that you're thinking of, too. But like when I whenever somebody asks me like to come up with a parallel of Ted Lasso, like I think of the character itself. Right. And it's hard for me not to think that President Bartlett is very much the Ted Lasso character of the show. Not even just in terms of like leadership and everything as well, but there's two very distinct characteristics of the way Bartlett is portrayed on the show that reminds me a lot of how Ted Lasso is portrayed. Um, and one of those is in the sense of, especially at the beginning of the series, at the beginning of the West Wing, the moral clarity, the moral compass of President Bartlett is very much like unshakable, it seems. You know, like he's very much a singular vision person that seems to have all the answers to everything that he wants. Um, I know in that first season we still get, you know, like he's still waffling a little bit in the amazing Let Bartlett Be Bartlett episode. Um, mm -hmm. But, and, you know, but for the most part in that first season, we're thinking to ourselves like, man, this guy is like a good leader. He's like concise. You know, I don't know everything about him but he seems like very committed to what he thinks and what he's doing um, but then throughout the rest of that series we get to see the inner turmoil the inner conflict of that person that even though they're putting out this great philosophy that others are buying into that others are picking up and taking forward there's still some tension there's still some character defects in him that he has to work on um, and you know I think that that's kind of like the biggest parallel between Ted and President Bartlett that I see that also in terms of like the way they tell those characters stories as well and there's a little bit of pride there or a little bit of um, maybe in the past this this idea of hiding something yeah. uh, hiding the panic attacks until they're oh, brought yeah, yeah. out into the press uh, also hiding the uh, ms diagnosis mm -hmm. from the public which becomes a huge plot point in storyline uh, in one of the best episodes of tv oh, uh, ever which is two cathedrals mm. and so if you ever want to see well-written tv holy moly mm -hmm. uh two cathedrals is where it's at so um but i i could see that i i do also think that and in some ways he's like the antithesis of ted lasso but i think you could also draw some parallels to our boy josh lyman josh as well lyman, played baby. By Bradley I was thinking Whitford, that. um because of the way that he kind of leads that team as deputy chief of staff and uh, particularly again i keep coming back to those later seasons where he is the campaign manager for man santos and uh he's kind of leading that ensemble and that team he um comes off as more negative in some of like how he's pursuing things he's a he's a much more cynical person than ted lasso but i think you also see that growth of the 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 when josh is 
fired upon at the end of season one. And we get this amazing Christmas episode called Noel, mm. where uh, he's meeting with a therapist to talk about his PTSD. I get a lot of like kind of the same sorts of parallels to Dr. Sharon in those scenes because of the way that Josh is so closed off to this idea of therapy. And so I actually was thinking about Josh Lyman a lot in season two of Ted Lasso as he was going on that journey too. So, but I do think that Bartlett Lasso, it makes sense. They are kind of the figureheads of the TV show. But again, they also, uh, it doesn't necessarily always revolve around them because we have such a great ensemble uh, cast of characters. Yeah. Are you ready for my hot take? Yeah, go ahead. Nate Shelley is Toby Ziegler. Oh, man. I had a different uh, person in mind, but okay. Make your case, my man. Do you have have maybe Toby Ziegler as Coach Beard? Coach Beard. I can also do that as well. (laughs) But um, that one's a lot more obvious. I'm more interested in yours. (laughs) Well, when we're talking about uh, an antagonist to a series, and I'm particularly thinking about the types of storylines that happen after John Wells takes over Mm. and Toby essentially provides us with a um, uh, provides us with a a huge story arc in that he gives away some secrets to the press. He leaks to the press and ends up being where he's going to be prosecuted for this and perhaps be going away to jail for uh, quite a long time. And to see that downfall of Toby Ziegler's relationship with Jed Bartlett to me, that is where we get some of that antagonism and we get this character that we really came to love and we adored his sort of uh, outlook to life in a way that was different than all the other characters. But it was a little bit darker, a little bit more brooding, a little bit more grittier, but we still loved him as a character. And then we see him betray Bartlett Mm. and what does that do to our sense of him as a character what is it that you know and I guess like the moral ambiguity of what Toby did versus what Nate did is a little bit different yeah because they also wrote it in a way where a lot of us were probably rooting for Toby I think we were yeah (laughs) but I I always I thought of that as a, a parallel and that's one of those that I can certainly see Toby as more of the coach beard to a Josh Lyman as well. But what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I, I took two ways of this. Like, you know, Toby is every time I watch the show, I get the sense that Toby is the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, maybe yeah, I don't know. Like you could make a case for Sam, I guess, because but Sam has some personality problems um, in terms of that. But Toby always seems like the most put together person um, on the show to me, um, aside from maybe, yeah, Bartlett, at least in the early going here. But, you know, obviously the look parallel is there with him. But I also just get the sense that, like, if you need an answer, Toby is probably the one who can give it to you. And that seems totally Coach Beard-like to me. I mean, this just like, you know, Beard always has every answer. He's reading all the books. He's probably the most knowledgeable there. Now, if I wanted to go a different way with it, like, since I technically put um, Ted as President Bartlett, I would probably say you could find some Leo McGarry in Coach Beard as well. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the not even just like the trusty lieutenant thing, but again, um, Bartlett even makes mention of this in the uh, State of the Union episode where he asks, yeah, you know, like, I was gonna do, mention that. do yeah. you have a best friend? Is he smarter than you? That's your chief of staff. And so that kind of feels like Beard and Lasso, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. I love that uh, that callback too. So essentially, that's the designated survivor, right? So yeah. I, I think it's oh gosh, it's, it's the Secretary of Labor or Secretary of Agriculture, Agriculture or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they're the one that's going to be staying behind at the State of the Union just in case something goes awry. And this actually happens in real life as well. They made a whole TV show about it. Keeper uh, Sutherland you has a show about it. And season one's and okay. Season one's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Season one was really actually I really enjoyed season one and then season two was meh, and then when they moved over to Netflix, it was a dumpster fire. So um, (laughs) but the I I I was like thinking about that right away when you talk about um, and then also, I mean, something that we learned about Coach Beard really late in the series is this idea of his sort of recovery process. Right. Yeah. yeah. From. Um, being the guy that was in prison for stealing and for theft and for drug use. And then to be able to see um, that it's Lasso that really pulls him out of that, much like Leo McGarry 
uh, to Jed Bartlett because of his substance abuse issues and going into rehab and yeah, all of that when man. he was transportation secretary. So that's also another parallel that's an to think about. amazing parallel. It, it, but it's also a different, you know, I mean, I can keep going with this parallel because, yes. um, you know, like it, it, it also is kind of a parallel between Josh and uh and leo's relationship yes, because yes, yes. he's coming up to him and saying you know as long as i have a job you have a job which is after this amazing speech about the friend that falls down in the hole and, and who's going to help him out of that hole and that's also very lasso-esque isn't it like i mean doesn't it doesn't that exactly remind you of the second to last episode where you know ted basically forces beard's hand in a very much a similar way there saying it's just like you know, you and Nate aren't that different. You know, <laughs> like what happened with you, what hap- what's happening with Nate, it's not that different, um, you know, because eventually you always need somebody who's willing to say, it doesn't matter. I know who you really are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're forgiven. And, you know, I'm here for you. And so, yeah, ju- I was just thinking that when you were talking, it's like the, the Leo-Josh comparisons there in terms of that episode is just astounding. Like, you know, the way that that happens. And now I'm just literally going through Brendan Hunt's amazing performance in that scene uh, in my head. And I was just like, ah, oh, God, I'm seeing Leo McGarry all over again. It's all over the place, dude. People often ask us if we like a show as much as we like uh, Ted Lasso, and the answer is yes. The, West the Wing, answer seems. to that is the West Wing. <laughs> so, as we After Ted Lasso like, think shrinks. about this in our minds, yeah. because I, I will tell you, listeners, we did not necessarily do a uh, a huge amount of prep on this. It's just um, it, it's just pretty it's amazing that, out like, right now. that this is all coming out. So. Who yeah. else? What other parallels do we yeah. have or other so, storyline parallels? You know, I don't want to do this one just because of the obvious reasons here, but like tall woman to tall woman, Rebecca and CJ, I guess. Um, but um, Also like the designated like strong female characters in the midst of a male dominated, uh, you know, show. Um, it, it does sort of feel though, like I do get the sense, like when I look at CJ and when I look at Rebecca, both incredibly confident people both very much in the public eye. They are the very public faces of the organizations that they're there for. Um, you know, what? even though Lasso is, you know, the manager of AFC Richmond, it always seems like, you know, Rebecca is the one that the press wants to talk to, the one they're writing stories about. Um, and in many ways, you know, like CJ becomes a, a main character of that in two in the West Wing. Um, but, you know, again, like the height disparity alone is there. But also... Remember this too, though, Craig, like, and it's more of like a real life parallel too, but like Allison Janney kind of takes on a life of her own from the West Wing, you know, like she really does kind of shoot to superstar status um, after a lot of, you know, stage work, after a lot of, you know, smaller market work. And it's kind of exactly what's happening with Hannah now, you know, Hannah, an absolute musical superstar over in London and in, in um, Broadway. And now, you know, just shooting up to superstar status because of the work of a TV show with Emmy wins. And, you know, it's kind of I I just kind of see some real life comparisons, not only with just CJ and Rebecca, but with Hannah and Allison Janney. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can totally see that because uh, this is another show that becomes a sort of star making show. We, of course, have someone like Rob Lowe, who is already a huge who was star the big name point. of this when it started. I love it. He's like the main name of this show when it when it first starts. And then it just like, whoops. <laughs> Well, and like, you know, we also get uh, uh, Bradley Whitford, who has come off of some great performances in the 80s. Yeah, I see yeah. you, Robocop. Uh. Uh, but, you know, like, <laughs> still, like, you, this does end up making an awful lot of stars out of this cast. I would say that, you know, I think you said tall woman to tall woman, strong woman to strong woman. I would also throw in that uh, there's kind of this amalgamation of more of a Rebecca Welton and a Keely Jones yeah. in DJ because of uh, kind of her veracity and the way that she approaches uh, dealing with the press. And so I see a lot of parallel there between how Keeley talks to the players and kind of gets them prepped to go see the press mm-hmm. and then uh, how we're looking at how the press uh, turns out. I, does that mean Danny Kincannon is Roy Kent, though? I don't know uh, oh, uh, if yeah. that if that makes any sense there. But <laughs> I, don't I, know. I do think 
I do think you can see kind of a, a mixture of both of those two. And, you know, not to just like keep it to like the female character has to be a female character. But I also think that um, you also get a little bit of like the the wit and wisdom of a Leslie Higgins kind of in a CJ Craig as oh, well. Yeah. And how oh, she yeah. kind of can come into that room and sort of say very little but everyone just knows to listen. Yeah, to there's also the you know? sense too in that vein is that Higgins like always has the thing that needs to be heard. And mm -hmm. so often in the West Wing, you will see like when arguments or when debates are taking place over what to do or what message to send out or what policy to back. CJ's often usually the one who's correct morally, um, but like doesn't always, you know, like it, it's often like the mic drop moment comes from her. Where it's just, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, there's an episode in the West Wing where they're talking about, um, you know, like mad cow. And like if, if there's a mad cow outbreak in the United States and they're basically debating like, oh, you know, should we tell people even though we're doing further testing and stuff like that? And CJ is the one who's basically like, yeah, you kind of have to um, because, you know, and then she even brings up the uncomfortableness of like hiding the MS diagnosis. And it's like mm -hmm. she's not afraid to be the one that has to go out there and just like say the thing that needs to be said. And Higgins, you know, he's not that until he tells off Rebecca in the I want to say the two aces episode um or maybe just right after that um but it, it's one of those things though where it's like after that higgins is always the one who says what needs to be said even though it's there like think back to the episode where um you know nobody wants to talk to beard about his relationship with jane but higgins feels like he has to you know he has to tell the uncomfortable truth because that's where it is so i can see that a lot of ways well. cj cj craig is definitely the um moral compass and that's why you know, when we have this, uh, when John Spencer, of course, actually passed away during the filming. Um, but when we had this uh, heart attack that takes out Leo McGarry earlier before he kind of gets back in the ring again, mm -hmm. who is it that Bartlett turns to to become chief of staff? It's CJ Craig. Oh, yeah. So, and, and Leo um, himself says there's only one person. <laughs> yeah, there's only one person. And so I, I think that that parallel is also something that could be made, too. Now, I Charlie is such an interesting character to me. Oh, he, man, yeah. Uh, first of all, Dulé Hill is amazing. Yeah. And he's kind of, to me, he's us. He's us yeah, going yeah. through this. And so, in a way, um, this is a go with me here a little bit. But in a way, I see some parallel to how Charlie has to kind of be assimilated into the West Wing, much like our boy Trent Krim has to be assimilated <laughs> into the lasso way. I see this. And then I see almost this. becomes almost becomes the biggest cheerleader for Jed Bartlett uh, than anybody else and becomes his personal, you know, like becomes his personal aide, but then also continues to develop this character that is basically the audience looking in on this TV show. And I think that mm. that's how he was written. And so really in season three in particular, that's where, we are with Trent, right? Mm. So uh, he becomes a fan favorite. I don't, I wonder, you know, even James Lance himself has given interviews and talked about the idea that, you know, Jason had this idea for him, but I still don't know that he wasn't uh, allowed to be in more episodes just because of the fan reactions to him. And Charlie is also one of those fan favorite characters. I do also think, and you know, again, like you said, like tall, strong woman to tall, strong woman. Uh, I don't want to say like awesome black actor to awesome black actor, but <laughs> I do also see some of the charisma and charm of mm. Jaheed Jamo uh, in Dulé Hill. And so I see a little bit of a parallel between Sam and uh, between Charlie as well. But yeah, uh, well, and I don't know I, if you have any thoughts on those. No, I had a, cause I was struggling with, I was struggling with two West Wing characters, well, one Lasso character, one West Wing character to draw a parallel to, but you just made me think of one of those. And the West Wing one I was having trouble with was Sam, Sam Seaborn. Yeah. And it's because Sam is undoubtedly one of the best characters of this show. Um, like the the amount of intelligence and social ineptitude that he possesses is amazing. Like he's not dumb socially, but like when you compare it with his intellect, he's he's basically like a fifth grader um, socially, which is is pretty fantastic of a thing because Rob Lowe, 
you know, he's an amazingly good looking dude. And so it's just like you would think like, oh, he's got it all together. And I love that in the West Wing, they like give him this little character flaw where he doesn't quite understand how perception can work sometimes. Or he does and he just doesn't care in terms of like he thinks people should be better, especially in his season one storyline. But I think that Sam can kind of be Sam. You know, I think like the Sams are kind of a good parallel to each other because they're both amazingly optimistic. They're both very, very um, intelligent. They're both very smart um, in terms of their knowledge and stuff like that. But also at the same time, they kind of expect people to be better than they are um, a lot of times. And that really kind of hits them over the head a few times in the runs of their respective series. You know, I didn't think about Sam's uh, kind of like how he doesn't he has all the the book smarts in the world, but he's so socially inept in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And I almost see that now. Don't come at me, listeners. I'm not saying that she's a dumb character by any means, but I almost see that as like the the reverse of Akili Jones, you know, like where she's just so socially aware and she can kind of go in and out of any circumstance or any situation. But there's these times where she feels like she's inept in the more like foundation business level knowledge. She's really concerned about that when she starts to talk about maybe going off and making KJPR. Mm -hmm. But it would be a pretty cool team up to see um, if Sam Seaborn ever across the pond and joined uh, KB PR uh, with Barb and with uh, Keely. I think that that could be a killer combination for sure. That would be awesome. Maybe he could run for parliament. I don't know what the uh, rules are. English listeners, let me know what like the residency (laughs) requirements are. But Sam Seaborn did run for Congress, so perhaps he could run for parliament as well. Go run for parliament and have Keely Jones run PR for him. This is what we need. Although I think Rob Lowe's on that uh, 911 show um, right now, so we gotta gotta get him away from fighting fires and uh, get over to the pond, cross the pond, Sam Seaborn style. Um, well, the, and, and I'll tell you this though, like uh, bringing it back to the other, the character I'm having trouble paralleling with the West Wing is Jamie Tarts, because in the West Wing we don't really have a villain to hero arc character, you know, in this show, um, you know, like there's it, at least in the prototypical way, like Jamie and very much is very much the antagonist of the show for I would say the first you know 14 12 14 episodes of lasso um and it's interesting like trying to think of even slightly somebody who you know is an antagonist to the west wing that then becomes an ally i guess you could say somebody like an ainsley Earhart, but like even that like you know she wasn't like mean-spirited in how she was in the way that jamie was you know I'm not looking at it more from the villain angle. I think I'm looking at it more from uh, the, you know, just like we were kind of annoyed with Jamie at certain points in time. And maybe that's like Mandy, right? And that's oh, why we don't. got rid of oh, her, man. <laughs> uh, in season one. No, I, I truly, though, I do see, and I know I used him before. Um, hey, we're mixing but I and see matching. Bits, I see bits of Josh Lyman in the attitude that Jamie Tart. I can brings see that. To, I can see that. To, uh, his to the pitch and uh, to the office for Josh, this kind of like arrogance that just sort of works. Like it's like lovable arrogance. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see yeah, that so because yeah, because Josh, a bit of that. Josh, while very capable also puts on this bravado and uh, in many ways, I think he even says it at some point in there. It's like, it's kind of the nature of, dealing with congress you kind of have to you know you kind of have to have that what's the name of josh lyman's uh is it lemons for lyman lemon lyman.com yeah yeah uh so even he has like his own fans of uh this throng of women that that love josh lyman so (laughs) definitely a parallel to jamie tart there so i'm almost sticking more of my josh lyman as jamie tart than i am even as my josh lyman as ted lasso for sure oh yeah definitely definitely well and i the other one uh ed and larry was one i was thinking of i was like that's totally paul jeremy and baz right like that's totally it totally is I don't totally know why, is. but they're like very much there. They, uh, you know, have their own little side things every once in a while. But I don't know. That's the one that I kept thinking of for them. But um, I don't know. Am I missing anybody uh, from, you know, either show we did, Keely? Uh, what about Roy Kent? Who are you seeing for Roy Kent Ooh, here? Gosh, Roy Kent is just such a special TV character. Yes, he is. And I think that's why Brett, I mean, like, it, that is going to be one of those characters that shows up on the list of greatest written TV characters for a long time. Agreed. And so it is difficult to come up with someone. I guess in a way you could talk about the grumpiness and you could um, kind of point that to Toby Ziegler because he is always the guy in the room. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, he's always trying to be. (laughs) 
Like he just turns out to be the grumpiest in any situation <laughs> that he's in. But I don't know that that's a strong enough parallel that I would mm-hmm. actually um, compare the two of them. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting scenario because he's kind of an amalgam of a lot of people, um, you know, but Toby seems to be the best one. But you're right. It's pretty much surface level like mannerisms that, that kind of gets there. Ma- yeah. Roy's maybe a this hard one, one we leave to our maybe this one we leave to our listeners. There so, you, you know, in our social media, who do you compare um Roy Kent to uh, as far as like parallels to West Wing cast members. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was trying to think of any more of the tertiary characters like um, uh, Abby Bartlett is definitely very much a Rebecca like strong woman. She's also very, very socially um, a keen uh, in terms of like the way she works rooms and stuff when she's um, at like state dinners and stuff. So I can see a lot of Keeley and her. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, there's a lot of tertiary characters that come in and out of the West Wing. Um, that... We didn't really talk about Will Bailey at all, and now he didn't come in until towards the end of the Sorkin run, and he sticks around, and of course becomes because he's kind a really of major very, part, very Sam Seaborny. I mean, I know, I know he like takes over for him, and he is his own thing. He's a lot more Craven than I... Sam, but you know. I don't know if Craven's the right word, but he's a lot more like forward thinking in season six and seven. They kind of make him an antagonist for no reason. That's what I'm saying. Like, actually, you know, if you want to paint a direct parallel, Will Bailey is Nate Shelley because he goes and works on the opposing campaign. Right. But I don't know if that, that. if that tracks enough. Like, I don't know if, if uh, the demise of Will Bailey was something that some, that anybody necessarily was like, there's no vitriol there. Shocking. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I don't think there's any character in the West wing that kind of garners that kind of like, man, we hate you like type of thing that like Nate garnered after season two there. Um, Because again, like even the antagonists of the show uh, in the West wing, like even if you wanted to go with, you know, like speaker Halfley or, um, you know, like any of the other Republicans that we see on the show every once in a while, or not even Republicans, but just conservatives or, um, you know, people from like family values places. Those are really kind of like the uh, villains of the West wing, aren't they? Like the people who like run organizations, like outside lobbying groups like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this has been a lot of fun to kind of yeah, like, now you said you have on our notes here, maybe we should just kind of start to wrap up with just some of our favorite episodes of the West Wing mm-hmm. and ones that, you know, you would kind of direct people to go and check out. I mean, really, the West Wing, it's kind of cool because it's done in that sort of older style of network drama where you can absolutely there is uh, it's serialized and you are going to miss out on plot points if you just dive right in but you can also just go and check out some episodes and see if this is something that you really like and um, that you would want to to check out so i uh will send it over to you first but what are some of your favorite episodes of the west wing um well i mean like i'll go with um you know, starting pretty, pretty early here. I really like in season one, the like, cause, and again, like I'm trying to go with like an early episode here so that like, if you don't want to jump like too far into a plot point or into a plot hole or anything before we get into like my all time favorite ones, I really mm. like the structure of five votes down the fourth episode in season one, um, which really kind of gives you a good mechanism of the workings of how votes in Congress work um, and how, you know, like lobbying senators and representatives to try to get done what you want to get done legislatively works. Um, And it also shows um, a great way of how like these various factions and people who work for the president work together in tandem on a goal. But it also shows you some of the personal cost of that in Leo's story in that episode where, you know, like accomplishing big things is hard. It should be hard, but it also can come at a pretty bad personal cost if you, you know, don't prioritize what you need to. So I I always really liked that one in terms of like an introductory episode. If I was going to send somebody to episode an episode in the first season, that's not the pilot, because, of course, you can just watch the pilot uh, as well. But I am a sucker for these early Sorkin did such a great job of writing these Christmas episodes. Oh, I think yes. that that's something that the, the show actually kind of lost its way a little bit when it came to Christmas episodes later. But the first two Christmas episodes in particular, I already mentioned Noel earlier, but in Excelsis Deo is uh, such a great Christmas episode. You get to kind of see... Um, Toby 
and his sort of rebellious streak start right here from the first episode because essentially he uses the president's name to get this homeless veteran uh, to have a actual funeral and uh, he gets in quite a bit of trouble for that as well but it is something that definitely uh, you should go and check out that episode I would say that that probably is my favorite first season episode and of course you know I gotta know if we want to just go season by season here but (laughs) clearly the maybe the episode of the entire series is uh the season finale of the second season and that's two cathedrals i mean this is this is a um this is a particular episode that is just like it's just riveting um i wouldn't suggest just diving into that episode no 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 no. like big spoilers to have you need to have the buildup of those spoilers too like to you have to understand these characters and the love of these characters for certain things that happen in that episode to have the impact that it's supposed to um but yeah uh, anything else in season two that yeah. you would would say well i'll say also in season one i uh, let bartlett be bartlett i already mentioned that one so but oh, um, yeah, one in season really two that always stands out to me is the sam episode somebody's going to emergency somebody's going to jail it's a wonderfully written episode um where again like sam is a very put together character until this episode um and we really get to see his vulnerability um and it also talks about the big big block of cheese day which i always think is like one of the like most charming parts of this entire series that they like. It's almost like a sunflowers episode, isn't it? It Like it's almost like a play into itself, like the way that it's written and the way that the different storylines diverge. It's a really well-written, that one's particularly well-written. Just going off of YouTube. Season two is just a a fantastic like season. Like every, every single episode in that season is, is pretty amazing there. Um, You know, going through season three here, I was looking through, like I like the Indians in the lobby episode um, really draws attention to once again the native american parallels of the united states which is uh, terrible um and stuff like that um any more in season three for you season three i would say i love the manchester episode it it follows up to two cathedrals but then also i would um say that i really like the the bartlett for america episode as well because i'm somebody that like i wanted to really dive into campaigning in politics Mm -hmm. and this this show when it did campaigns it did them so well i also think that we should probably point out that there was a pretty spectacular episode that happened um, because the season three is when uh september 11th attacks happened and so basically what aaron sorkin does is in almost like a week time frame writes a script that not only puts into perspective sort of the major religions at play in Isaiah and Ishmael um, to talk about uh, Islam in particular, but it also kind of pushes back at Islamophobia and the fact that he uh, did that pushes back uh, on just like anti-Muslim sentiment that was going on in the country after 9-11. And I mean, this happened right after and it was like this uh this show like they brought the actors in they recorded this episode and they almost immediately put it out and it's it doesn't exist in the timeline of the west wing it is a standalone episode in fact if you see it the the intro is still on there where um they're giving away the number it's like martin sheen and and, uh allison janney are inner the episode and they talk about the number to support um, those people in New York that needed the support at the time. And then they also speak about how you're not going to be able to find this in the timeline of the West Wing. It is its own standalone episode, but it's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah, that episode, the fact that he did that when he did it, when it was very much not cool to push back against that kind of thing. As for those of you who don't know about me, I went to you know religious college. I studied all the religions of the world for about five years. Um, it's an amazing encapsulation of religious fanaticism and what it means, what it does, um, you know, like how it's a perversion of the religions that they purport to be. Um, it's an amazing episode. And you're right. It is a wonderful standalone, especially if you want to know more about just you know, terrorism in the world and, and how it's there. Um, I was looking through season four, um, aside from like the end stuff, 20 hours in America, those first two episodes are just absolutely. Well, that's another one of those kiss. campaigns, right? Like yeah. it's a campaign episode <laughs> where they're out and, and they get stuck in America. Out in, is it, uh, is it Iowa or is Indiana. it like, I, Indiana? It's yeah. Indiana. Okay. Um, but still like, 
Uh, that's just a wonderful one. And I, of course, love election night as well. And then um, the stuff that happens at the end with the 25th Amendment is just wild. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely something that like Aaron Sorkin was like, mic drop. Good luck, John Wells. I'll see you later. Yeah, um, it really. And now, supposedly, I I stopped listening to the West Wing Weekly just because I got busy with other podcasts. I love the podcast though. Uh, Rishi Herway and then Josh Molina do a, an amazing job, and I need to go back and listen to it. But my understanding is that Aaron Sorkin never saw an episode past season four of this show. He did not watch it moving forward. Um, and I wonder if they ever got him to watch anything on the West Wing Weekly uh, in those later seasons because. He left them with quite the conundrum. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I was uh, perusing season five here. Um, Shut down. Obviously amazing because uh, we're probably going to see that again here very soon in the United States. Um, and also uh, the Supremes, one of my favorite episodes of the West Wing of all time. That show, that episode is great because, again, there's so much divisiveness around the Supreme Court. You really just get to see like. How it can be, you know, you can have different points of view, conservative, liberal, whatever, but you can still have like a, a judicial philosophy with it as well. Um, so the ending of that episode is always very surprising. But yeah, that's uh, that's the one I would have called out the Supremes. You know, I don't understand why no one has given uh, Glenn Close a her shot on the Supreme Court hey, to this point. Just so, saying. <laughs> you know, um, and then season six, that's when we get to really get into the campaign. And that's uh, I I really love so many of these episodes, but I would probably call out the King Corn episode because mm. of my connection to Iowa politics and all of that to see like all the campaigns come in and take the ethanol pledge. And then Matt Santos is kind of grappling with a decision as to whether or not he wants to take that that plunge as well. That's also just a really, really good episode. And then um, it probably my oh, this is probably a little bit of a controversial opinion. My second favorite se season finale uh, is in season six because it's at the Democratic convention. Oh, that's a great. And they, series, the, the idea of a contested convention, you know, we had uh, talks about potentially a contested com convention between uh, really at the start of it, maybe a Hillary Bernie in 2016 and then also um, Bernie and then all these other candidates in 2020. And of course, that didn't work out um, the way that it does in the West Wing, much like a lot of things <laughs> in real life don't. But 2162 votes uh, is a pretty remarkable sort of look at the smoked filled rooms of your in a West Wing episode. And it was very cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I was going through season seven here. I every single time I get into season seven, the debate episode always sticks out to me because they shoot it like literal broadcast TV. So it's not on like, you know, uh, film, film stock cameras. Um, yeah. And they did it twice there. But what I love about this episode is like, it literally takes the thesis of like what you see on presidential debates nowadays. That's not debate. That's not debate. Those are canned answers that are like, you know, workshopped and everything else like, oh, 90 seconds to do this. And they really go back to like the format of like the old like spirit of like the Lincoln Douglas debates and stuff like from the 1800s where it was like, you know what? We're not going to have time limits on here. You're going to passionately advocate for your position. So you better know it because the other person can come in here and, you know, it's not about like taking up all the time or like shouting loud or anything. But it really does just show like most of the time when it comes to government you want to get to the same place. You just have different routes that you want to get there. And this one really mm -hmm. shows a great version of like problems don't have one solution and problems don't even have one cause. And this, uh, this episode really just highlights brilliantly how a debate can be informative instead of just adversarial. Yeah. And I mentioned that they filmed it twice. They did it live um, mm -hmm. in front of an audience. And so they wanted it to really look like a debate and uh, they actually filmed they did they did it live for the East Coast and also for the West Coast. So uh, there are differences that happen because of ad libs that happen between uh, Alan Arkin and Jimmy Smith's as well. Mm -hmm. So um, and so Alda, yeah, it's, Alan Aldo, by the way. <laughs> oh, sorry. We just lost. We just Alan lost Arkin, Alan Arkin. So that's Arkin, why, so that's why I was just thinking yeah. of him. But yes, you, you are absolutely correct. Alan Arkin was not in MASH. Um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, 
going through here, I mean, there's so many good episodes. That whole idea of when the meltdown happens um, during duck and cover and the cold Ooh, and yeah. how those two campaigns react to that and the president having to sort of allow for uh, all the campaigns to be able to come together. Um, mm -hmm. ugh, gosh. And then, I, you know, calling out um, the election day, the two-parter of election day was amazing. Uh, but to see Requiem right after oh, um, John Spencer became such a huge part of this show and for his death to happen uh, in during the filming of the seventh season uh, is just, you know, was so tragic at the time. And so to see this episode where not only are they uh, celebrating the life of Leo McGarry, but they're really celebrating the life of John Spencer, the actor. And so um, that was a, quite a touching. And then, you know, talk about like, I think people will, you've got a month, you've had a month to stew on this finale uh, now of Ted Lasso. Lasso, if this is the finale of Ted Lasso, it's interesting because much like Ted Lasso, there was a lot of clamoring for, are we going to get the Matt Santos administration for the West Wing? Are right, we ever right. going to get that back? <laughs> Spinoffs. There's, there's a lot of talk. There's talk still today of, can we get a movie? Can we get something? People want the West Wing to return. And so it's because of the love that people have had this for this show. But I do think that tomorrow, the series finale to the West Wing really wrapped things up yeah. so much yeah they stuck they stick the landing pretty hard um especially with those last two shots um, of that and mm -hmm. the final word of the series so that's all i'll say about that um guys we've been talking for like over an hour here um man absolutely love getting back into the saddle here with you guys um in terms of talking lasso and talking west wing here um but again craig mentioned it up at the top we are not done we will be starting our shrinking show here pretty soon um and that will be one on the we'll same have, feed yeah on yeah, the same feed so don't worry week. stay yeah. right right here we will we will get to those um but yeah it's gonna be we're, we're happy to do that again craig is currently about a week and a half away from opening actually about a week away from opening beauty and the beast at uh the springfield muni where he will be playing lefou so if you're in the area come on down there and see him in that um and then right after that the show i'm directing with my wife school of rock will be coming to the muni stage so we're a little busy but we're we're here for you Gosh, it disturbs me to see you, Jeremy. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Looking right at that microphone. If you guys clamor enough, we will get him to do a whole episode in that voice. Yep. Set, set it. Print it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know about that at all. Um, but no, I'm really looking forward to Beauty and the Beast. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, School of Rock and the, the work that you and Sarah have put into that as well. And I'm looking forward to talking shrinking. So we are going to kind of start to go maybe in an every other week sort of format. That's uh, what we'd like to do, especially at the beginning here. Um, and we're going to have some friends being able to join us for shrinking as well. So it may not always be Jeremy and myself together, um, because unlike Lasso, where we were kind of dealing with media screeners, um, and making sure that we had access to those screeners. This is a different situation because uh, shrinking, of course, is out there. So definitely you can watch it now. You can wait until we do our recaps and start rewatching it with us. But if you haven't seen it before, it is essentially mm. the same writing staff as Ted Lasso. Um, substitute a Jason Sudeikis for a Jason Siegels. Jason for Jason, basically. Yeah, Jason for um, Jason. And it is uh, pretty incredible. You've heard Luke Tenney on this podcast um, a couple of times now, and he's a great person, a uh, great character of Sean in this show. So I just can't wait to dive right into it with you. But of course, if you haven't yet joined, we now have over 2,000 members in our Facebook page, Peanut Butter and Biscuits. Then you can continue to follow us on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists. I hear that Instagram is taking them over <laughs> with threads now, uh, but you can follow us at PBBFRN there. And then also Peanut Butter Biscuit Time on Instagram. And I'm guessing also on threads in the relatively near future because it's connected to the same accounts. I don't, I'm so old, Jeremy. I know. I know I TikTok know exists too. I don't know about it. I'm just saying we're um, not on TikTok. I don't know that we will ever be on TikTok. I don't know no. how to tick or TikTok. If you want Front Row Network TikTok, go uh, find that. I think you're going to like this girls because they crush TikTok. So um, yes, they do. do they are they are a wonderful show on the network for sure. But um, yeah, it's been great getting to chat with you. Let's do this before the month of August. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> so we will try we to do have that. a little bit better timeline. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. We will see you next time where we will be talking. The first episode of Shrinking, maybe with a special guest. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll try to make it work. Um, but for now, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Craig. And as always, everyone, be a goldfish. Be a goldfish.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.